of Joshua chapter 22. The book of Joshua and chapter number 22. And I was just thinking about it a little bit before the service. It's actually, I think, this is the first time I've preached at Open Door since I went out to community. I think, I think it is. And so it is a privilege to be able to be back in the pulpit here at Open Door and to be able to preach. And we've been going through the book of Joshua there at Community and just trying to look at um, how God's Word um, deals with moving forward by faith and following the Lord to the next step. And just we've seen the Lord bring us through some next steps. I mean, we're still waiting Obviously, on the on the building to come through, and you know some of the other things, and but we've seen the Lord bring some of the former members back to the church. Um, we need to pray. Uh, one prayer request: I'm supposed to be meeting with a couple that's been the one family that was out of town. They've been coming um, for very faithfully since um, the, since the summer, and they've been talking off and on about joining the church. And we're supposed to meet with them and see about them um, joining the church. And which would they had, ne- they had never joined the church before they had attended before but had never joined, and so we're, we're looking at some stuff like that and waiting for the for the Lord to move in His time. But it, there's always a next step that we have to go to. There's always new phases that we're looking at, and we're going to catch a little bit of review just to pull us up to speed to where it is in Joshua chapter 22 because. Um, I have the one privilege of preaching every week through the book of Joshua, and so you guys have not been able to be with us as we've gone through chapter by chapter through that. But let's, let's read, the, read the text, and then we'll get into the message tonight. But Joshua chapter 22, and truly one of the most more interesting stories in the book of Joshua. But then, uh, verse number one, then Joshua called the Reubenites and the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. You're going to see that phrase over and over again. Those are the people we're mainly dealing with in this chapter. And said unto them, Ye have kept all that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. Ye have not left your brethren these many days unto this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. Now the Lord your God hath given rest unto your brethren as he promised them, Therefore now return ye and get you unto your tents and unto the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side Jordan. But take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and to serve him with all your heart, and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went unto their tents. Now to the half tribe, to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a portion in Bashan, but unto the other half thereof gave Joshua among their brethren on this side, Jordan, westward. And when Joshua sent them away also unto their tents, then he blessed them, and he spake unto them, saying, Return with much riches unto your tents, with very much cattle, and with silver, and with gold, and with brass, and raiment, and with very much raiment. And divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. And the children of Reuben, and the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned, and departed from the children of Israel out of Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go unto the country of Gilead, 
to the land of their possession, whereof they were possessed according to the word of the Lord. And, talks, and verse number 10, And when they came unto the borders of Jordan, that are in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, and the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see. And the children of Israel heard say, Behold, the children of, the, of, children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan in the borders of Jordan at the passage of the children of Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh to go up to war against them. And the children of Israel sent unto the children of Reuben, and to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, and to the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest. And with him ten princes of each chief house, a prince throughout all the tribes of Israel. And each one was in head of the house of their fathers among the thousands of Israel. And they came unto the children of Reuben, and to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, and to the land of Gilead. And they spake with them, saying, Thus saith the whole congregation of the Lord, What trespass is this, what ye have committed against the God of Israel, to turn away this day from following the Lord, and that ye have builded an altar, that ye might rebel this day against the Lord? Is the iniquity of Peor too little for us? From which we are not cleansed unto this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord. But that ye must turn away this day from following the Lord. And it will see, it will be, seeing ye rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be wroth with the whole congregation of Israel. Notwithstanding, if the land of your possession be unclean, then pass ye over to the land of the possession of the Lord, wherein the Lord's tabernacle dwelleth. And take possession among us, but rebel not against the Lord, nor rebel against us in building you an altar beside the altar of the Lord. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing? And wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel, and that man perished not alone in his iniquity? Then the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said unto the heads of the thousands of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knoweth. And Israel he shall know, if it be in rebellion or if in transgression against the Lord, save us not this day. That we have built us an altar to turn from following the Lord. Or if to offer thereon burnt offering or meat offering, or if to offer peace offerings thereon, let the Lord himself require it. And if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing, saying, In time to come your children might speak unto our children, saying, What have we to do, what have ye to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us and you. Ye children of um, us and you, ye children of Reuben and Gad, and ye have no part in the Lord, so shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build an altar, not for burnt offering or not for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between us and you and our generations after that we may do the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings, that your children may not say to our children in time to come, ye have no part in the Lord. 
Therefore said we that it shall be that when they so say to us or our generations in time to come, that we may say again, behold, the pattern of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between us and you. God forbid that we should rebel against the Lord and turn this day from following the Lord to build an altar for burnt offerings, for meat offerings, or for sacrifices beside the altar of the Lord our God that is before his tabernacle. And when Phineas the priest and the princes of the congregation and the heads of the thousands of Israel which were with him heard the words that the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the children of Manasseh spake, it pleased them. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the the priest, said unto the children of Reuben, and to the children of Gad, and to the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because ye have not committed this trespass against the Lord. Now ye have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and the princes returned from the children of Reuben and from the children of Gad out of the land of Gilead unto the land of Canaan to the children of Israel and brought them word again. And the thing pleased the children of Israel and the children of Israel blessed God and did not intend to go up against them in battle to destroy the land wherein the children of Reuben and the children of Gad dwelt. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar Ed for it shall be a witness between us That the Lord is God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this evening. Lord, I just pray that you would speak, Lord, to our hearts. That you would challenge us. You would help us live closer to you. Lord, that you would work in our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Tonight we're going to look at this title, Trust God's Word. Because decisions made in fear will bring unnecessary heartache. We need to trust in God's Word because decisions made in fear will bring unnecessary heartache. Now, to catch up to where the children of Israel are now, they're entering a new phase in the book of Joshua and a new phase in their lives in the Promised Land. So chapters 1 through 4 of the book of Joshua, they had by faith followed the Lord into the Promised Land. When we start in Joshua chapter 1, God is speaking to Joshua. They're still outside the promised land. They're still in the westward part there. And God is saying, it's time to move. It's time to go into the promised land. And by faith, they follow the Lord into the promised land. And they saw God move them from out in the wilderness into the land that God wanted to give them. Then in chapters 5 through 12, all right, chapters 5 through 12 through the book of Joshua, we see Israel by faith defeating the enemies that are in the land. They are fighting the battles that God tells them to fight. Like we have the walls of Jericho coming down. We have the, the battle of Ai. We have the battle against the northern kingdoms and the battle against the southern kingdoms. And all of the battles that were going on in each individual city that had to be conquered, it was by faith. By faith they were following the Lord. By faith... They, it wasn't their, through their sword. It wasn't through their great power. It was the power of God giving them victory over enemies much greater than they are, much more powerful. But they saw God give them the victory as they followed Him by faith. Then the land was conquered. There were still battles that would need to be fought over individual cities. But they 
the land was subdued, is what the, uh, the word the Bible uses. And then came the next phase. That is Joshua chapter 13 through Joshua chapter 21. And that is where God is uh, giving each tribe their inheritance. Each individual tribe is listed in the book of Joshua as God is showing his love and his care for each and every one of the tribes of Israel as he is giving them exactly what he had promised, his best for them, what he, what they need to serve God. That is the inheritance. He is giving them what they need to serve God and they need to possess it. Caleb sets the example, Caleb in the Joshua chapter 14, where he says, I want that mountain. He sets the example of possessing all that God wants to give them by faith. And the end of chapter 21, it talks about how God gave Israel everything that he had promised. All the land he had promised, he gave it to them. And he gave them rest round about, just like he promised all of them that they would have rest. In fact, it sums up that section of the book of Joshua. There failed not aught of any good thing that the Lord had spoken unto Israel. That not a single word of the promises of God failed. That every word that God had promised them had come true. That as they had followed God, they found God faithful time and time again. And they now possessed the land that God had given them. They could start building their homes. They could start plowing the fields. It wasn't just there were promises of God in the future. No, they could reach down and they could grab a handful of the promises that God had given to them. That they would raise their family. Okay? There was a sense of excitement. There was a sense of joy. This was the land that God had promised Abraham over 600 years before. And now it was theirs. God's promises had come true. His word had been faithful. And as they had followed God by faith, they were able to enjoy the land that God had given them. But now a new phase starts. In Joshua chapter 20 through through the end of the book, they were going to begin to settle into the land. And they were going to live in the land. And they were going to find it was going to take just as much faith to live in the land as it did to conquer the land. That it was going to require just as much faith and just as much obedience to the word of God to dwell in the land and pass it on to their sons as it had been to follow God through the Jordan River. It may not be as miraculous as God parting the water, but it was going to take just as much obedience to God and just as much faith in following God to be able to live and be able to serve God in the next phase that God had for them. God had, the, God had given them in the book of Deuteronomy a series of sermons from Moses, <clears throat> excuse me, about their spiritual responsibilities once they were in the land. Okay? And if everybody, we're gonna be, we're going somewhere here, but if you, if you lose me right here, it's not gonna make any sense at the end, alright? But we, we are going somewhere, and so, what they had done in the book of Deuteronomy is Moses had given them basically the lease agreement. Okay, this is the land still belonged to God, but Moses gave to them and said, this is the agreement that God wants you. If you want to enjoy the land, if you want to be able to um, have the blessings of God while you're in the land, this is what you need to do. You need to follow the word of God. You need to obey the commandments and the law of God. When you see that phrase, 
the commandment and the law. Isn't that kind of the same thing? What? Okay, basically, what the, the people who are supposed to know this, this is what they say. It means basically this. Moses from A to Z. That the commandment and the law is basically including absolutely everything from the law of Moses, from what God had given them. But one of the major um, and most important duties that God gave to the children of Israel was to teach the next generation about their God. Okay, that was one of the fathers were to when they celebrated the Passover and the children asked, why are we celebrating it? What is this? The fathers were to teach the children. Well, we we were once slaves in Egypt, but God brought us out. And then it was the father's responsibility to take them to the stones at Gilgal and say, what mean ye by these stones? Well, God brought us through the Jordan River and three or four times in the book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy, God talks about how the fathers were to teach their children while they were sitting in their home and while they were lying down to sleep and while they were walking in the way that if they were going to live in the land, that this new phase that they were in, they were no longer fighting battles. They were living in the land. They were plowing fields. They were living the seasons. They were living their lives. But if they were going to serve God faithfully in this new phase, is going to require obedience to the Word of God. Now, the, the fighting was complete. And that's why at the beginning of Joshua chapter 22, Joshua calls the soldiers from the two and a half tribes on the west side of Jordan. Real quick, at the, when they had settled in that land, God had told them through Moses, you can settle here, but your soldiers are going to cross the Jordan River. You're going to go into the promised land and you're going to help your brothers. You're going to help the other tribes fight the battles until the battles are over. Now it's time for, we would say, their unit to be disbanded. It was time for them, their, their, um, their, uh, their war days were over. And just like a unit was might receive a citation at the end of a good campaign, at the end of completing their mission, that's what Joshua gives them here. I mean, what greater commendation can you get than verse number 2? And he said unto them, Ye have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. Ye have not left your brethren these many days unto this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. Wow. I mean, that, that is the type of commendation you would like to receive, that we would like to receive. He was saying, well done. You have finished what God has commanded you. You've obeyed Moses. You've obeyed me. You've obeyed God. You've been faithful. You've been good. And now it's time for you to go home. It's time for you to go back and enjoy the blessings of God. You can cross the Jordan River. Go back to your families. You're starting a new phase. Go enjoy the land. He gives them blessings and he tells them, return to your homes in verse number um, 8. And tells them, return to your homes with, with the spoils of war and with all that God wants to, all that God has given you as they fought the battles. They were able to, uh, the, the silver and the gold from the cities they conquered, they were able to take that to themselves. And Joshua was saying, take all that, even though you want it in the land of Canaan, you earned it. Go back. Share it with your brothers. Share it with the other people on the other side of Jordan. And enjoy the blessings that God has for you. 
They had completed their previous orders, right? He said, you've kept it all. It's past tense. You've done that. You've completed your mission. But now they're going to have, as they begin this new phase, Joshua reminds them of their new mission or what God had already told them. And that is verse number 5. And he says, But take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses the servant of the Lord charged you. To love the Lord your God, and to walk in all His ways, and to keep His commandments, and to cleave unto Him, and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Moses had received the law of God at Mount Sinai. God had given this to him. And now this was the law that God had for these people. As you, for the children of Israel. Joshua reminds them, this is how you're supposed to live. This is, this, is the, this is your new mission. As you go in this new phase of life, this is what you're supposed to do. He starts off, you take diligent heed. That's a command. He says to do the commandment and the law or everything God has commanded you, which Moses' servant charged you. Well, what would that look like? He starts to love the Lord your God. To love the Lord your God is the first one. As I, I uh, listen to some podcasts sometimes, I try to learn, and there's one po- podcast that I was listening to that was talking about discipline and how some people are, are very good at running and some people are very good at waking up early in the morning. Or some, and sometimes you are not the best at that. You try and you try to do that. And after the first three days of getting up, you can't hold your eyes open and you go back to bed. How many have ever tried to start getting up early or maybe try to fit in some more devotions or something and you have a good purpose and you have a good thing and it seems like you cannot do it or you want to get in an exercise habit. Maybe it's running, maybe it's um, weightlifting or whatever it happens to be. And But you try to do this and you, it just seems you can't do it. You can't stay consistent with it. You hate doing it. And you see somebody else who's doing that same thing, and it's a breeze to them. They get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and go run 5 miles every day. And you're like, you must be the most disciplined kook I've ever met. There's no way I'm ever going to reach that level of discipline. I just don't like doing it. Well, as I was listening to this podcast, he brought up this point, and it was, it's, it was very helpful. He's like, you know why those people... Some people are just able to get up early in the morning. It's because they love doing it. So you know why some people run? Because they and are able to do it for years and years. It's because they love doing it. They love doing it. He's like, and uh, the, the person who was in the podcast said, I don't love running, but I love weightlifting. And so I've been faithful in my weightlifting program for years, several years, and I've seen some gains, and this is what I enjoy doing. And sure, it's sometimes tough, and I have to discipline myself, but it's not something I have to force myself to do. It's something I enjoy doing. I love doing that. Can I tell you the same thing is true with serving the Lord? That if we want to see the change in our life, that lasts years and years. It's not through just building up this level of self-discipline and I'm going to read my Bible every day. And Now, there has to be a certain level of that. But if it's going to be a lasting habit, if it's going to be part of your life, it's got to get to the point to where you love doing it. 
to where, not, not just where I just love getting up in the morning, but I love what it means in my life. I love that time with the Lord. I love serving the Lord. If we want to see the, uh, the serving the Lord be a part of our life that not lasts just in our generation, but passes to the next, it has to start with us loving the Lord. Because otherwise, there's going to come a point where you're like, I'm just tired of this. Why? Because you're trying to force yourself to do it instead of if we learn to love the Lord, it's going to come naturally. The rest of it is just going to be a part of what we do. That's why Joshua starts there. He says, love the Lord your God. Walk in all his ways. Just the paths that God has. It has the idea of just serving the Lord. And then he says to keep his commandments. To love the Lord, to keep his commandments. What does the Bible say? If you love me. Keep my commandments. If you want to get to keeping His commandments, we've got to start with loving the Lord and growing in our love for the Lord. And he says, he, um, then he says, and, and to cleave unto Him. How many, um, Julie, Julie, little Julie Hainline just left today, right? How many remember when Julie Hainline was here? How many tried to go get her from Sarah and pick her up when she, when she was, okay? What was she doing? She was around her mom's neck almost to the point that she was choking Sarah, wasn't she? She was just wrapped all around and she was, and no, there was nothing gonna get in between Julie and her mom. That's what the Bible's talking about with Cleve, is hanging on to it. To, to not letting anything in between, and then he sums it up saying, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Is not that the great commandment to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength? That is the first commandment. And that's what Joshua is telling them. He's telling them, if you're going to live in the land, if you're going to serve the Lord in, in this new phase, you're not fighting the battles anymore. You're not with your um, comrades, the other tribes are on the other side of Jordan. You're heading off into your own land. There's going to be a physical separation between you. There's going to be, it's going to be new. But this is how you're going to serve the Lord. You're going to love the Lord and you're going to keep His commandments and you're going to serve the Lord and you're going to cleave to the Lord. And we would say, that seems like pretty simple instructions. Not necessarily easy to do, but I mean, you would think they're going to their own land, they're starting a new phase, and he would be giving them instructions on how to plow the land and how to take it. No, he's like, this is the instructions that you need. This is your new mission. Love God and keep His commandments and serve the Lord. As they were moving into this new phase, they would, um, they would not, they would be living in the land and they wouldn't be together with the other tribes. They would be on their own. And at this point, As I was reading, I would think this would be the natural close of chapter number 22. Joshua tells them, you've done a good job. This is what you need to do. Enjoy the blessings of God. That should be the end of the story, right? That should be the end that we hear from the the, um, tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. God gives them their new, um, not necessarily new commands, but reminds them of their duties and says, go enjoy the land. Enjoy the blessings of God. That should be the end of the story. But what we see is Reuben and Manasseh and Gad, when they reach 
the, the, the um, borders of Jordan, when they reached where they had crossed the Jordan, they built a great altar to see, this massive altar. It was built after the pattern of the altar at Shiloh, at the tabernacle. And in our minds, we would say, wow, they were trying to build something for God. The only problem was, God had given strict laws about not building other altars in the land. Okay, They were only to offer sacrifices at the tabernacle. All the burnt offerings, all the peace offerings, all the sin offerings, all of the thanksgiving offerings, every offering was not just to be offered wherever they wanted to. It was only be offered at the tabernacle. All right, They were not to build large altars or copy the altars of the Canaanites. And the reason why God had set this up was He had designed the tabernacle to unify the nation of Israel with the worship of God. One commentator said it this way, the unifying factor in ancient Israel was not her culture, her architecture, economy, or even military objectives. The long-range unifying factor was her worship of Jehovah. When the central sanctuary or the tabernacle was abandoned as the true place of worship, the tribes then developed Independent sanctuaries, thus alienating themselves from the other tribes and weakening their ability to work together. The, the effects of this trend are fully seen in the period of the judges. Where each tribe, okay, we're not going to go all the way to the tabernacle. We're going to begin to worship God here ourselves. And they separated the worship of God from the presence of God. Because it was the tabernacle where God had said, there I will dwell among you. And great confusion was caused. Now God knew that this could happen and would happen because he's God. But he had commanded them, this is what you're supposed to do. All right. Every male, every man in the tribe of Israel is to appear at the tabernacle three times in a year. For the different feasts and for the different assemblies. You're to be there. You're to hear the word of God. And then you're to go home to your families and you're to teach them the word of God. That the worship of God was supposed to take place at Shiloh. But here they are building this great altar. And to the other tribes, it looked like idolatry, would it not? If God had commanded you not to have any other, um, any other altars, and suddenly this massive altar is going up, what are you doing? So the, and we're going to move quickly here because we want to get to the end and not stay till 7.30, alright? And so um, the other tribes, they quickly gather together and assemble for war at Shiloh. You would say, war? That's kind of overreacting just a little bit, isn't it? Not if they're dealing with idolatry. In fact, the guy they choose as their, as their spokesman was the name of Phineas. How many remember who Phineas is? Okay. Phineas, we know he was the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the high priest. So he was the grandson of Aaron. Now, in Numbers chapter 25, where he, when he references the iniquity at Peor, he's talking about where Balaam counseled the Moabitish king Balak to send the Moabitish women into the camp to seduce the Israelites to go worship the gods of, of Moab. And there was actually a plague of God. The judgment of God was breaking out in the camp of Israel. And a man by the name of Phineas, the same guy, took a spear and went in and he took care of the problem. 
He ended the rebellion against God and the idolatry right there. He brought God's judgment swift and sure. And he stopped the plague. He was responsible for that. And God blessed him for that. He treated sin like God was going to treat it. He, he saw this is destructive. This is horrible. So, they, hey, hey, Phineas, we want you to lead the, um, to go make sure what's going on. We're not just going to go wipe them out. We want to see what's going on. They, they went about this the biblical way. They, they gathered their armies, but they said, what is going on? And so they sent their, their, um, their scouts or their um, representatives there saying, hey, what is going on? And, but Phineas comes, and he was afraid of what was going to happen to Israel. Okay, there was fear. He's, he's like, how many times did you notice? It, he was talking about, it's not just going to happen on you, but the judgment's going to happen on the whole congregation. And Achan, he didn't die alone in his iniquity. God's judgment fell on the whole nation. And we would say, Phineas really kind of came in with both barrels loaded. He just, he came in very hard. He came in a little almost over the top. He didn't necessarily know what was going on, but he comes in and says, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're committing a, a idolatry. You're rebelling against God. You're transgressing against God. And he just, I mean, he's, um, the old preacher's term, he just skins them alive. I mean, he just goes after them and lets them know what they're doing is wrong. The only problem was, they had not built this altar out of rebellion. That's what they say. No, 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 right? And they say, we haven't built this altar out of rebellion. Um, we built this out of fear. Because they were afraid that the physical separation of the Jordan would lead to a spiritual separation among the children of Israel. That they would, that they would view this physical separation as a spiritual separation. So we have Phineas and the Israel showing up just really very fearful of what's going to happen to the nation of Israel because of this idolatry. Meanwhile, we have Reuben and Gad and Manasseh, these tribes over here, dreadfully afraid that in the coming years, the other tribes are going to push them away from God. And what we have was they dealt with the situation. They dealt with the, that, you know, there's not an idolatry and everybody was happy and everybody blessed, praised the Lord. There's no fighting. But in reality, this conflict and even this altar were completely unnecessary. They were completely unnecessary. We, what we have is Israel actually almost getting into a civil war over something that was not commanded by God to do. It wasn't necessarily some horrible sin, obviously, but it was not something that was needed. It wasn't even necessary. What happened was, there was unnecessary conflict between the people of God because they made decisions based on fear instead of faith and trust in God. They made the, the decision to build the altar was made out of fear. Oh, they're going to push us away. They're going to make us stop serving God. And we don't want that to happen. And so um, I know God didn't may say anything about this, but we need to build this altar so that they know we serve the same God. And Phineas and the rest of the nation, they came, what are they doing? They're going to bring God's judgment to all of us. And there was a great conflict caused because both sides were operating out of fear 
instead of operating out of faith in what God had already said. So, what on earth does an altar in the tribe, in the land of Jordan, and what does that have to do with us? Number one, moving forward for God means that there's going to be new struggles awaiting you. Okay? God brings you to a place. God had brought Israel to a place. God brings you to a place where you can see the victory over something you've been fighting against. Maybe you see the victory over this one area of your life. You see God give you a victory over a sin, over a habit, or God gives you the ability to start witnessing to people. Or God, You see God give you the victory, and you move forward. You move to a new phase in your life. Maybe it's just simply as life passes, you reach retirement age, or now you have a family and you have kids, or whatever it happens to be, there is a new phase. As we follow the Lord, God's going to bring you to areas of new, um, a new beginnings, to new phases in your life. And when you come to a new phase, there's going to be new struggles awaiting you. I applied it this way a little bit this morning, that last year at this time at Community Baptist, what were they praying for? They were praying for a pastor. That's okay. And we've seen the Lord answer that prayer. Now there's a new phase. They're stuck with me. Okay? So, um, but, right, they, see, they saw God, we saw God answer that prayer and move them to a new phase. And now there is new things that they need to follow the Lord, that we need to follow the Lord, and in new areas that we need to move forward by faith. And God's direction is clear. But often, God's direction can seem simplistic for the trials of real life. Sometimes as a preacher, I can say, I can give you some great Bible truths, and I can package it very simply in a way that you can take home and everybody can say it, but then you meet the actual struggle with a person's name and face behind of it, and all of a sudden, that cute little phrase that uh, Brother Andrew said doesn't quite seem to have the truth behind it that it did in the service, because there's a real struggle, and you can begin to say, that sounded real good, but I don't know how it matches up in real life. All right, Maybe it's with, um, with uh, finances or whatever. You could say, I know what God's Word says, but how does that apply to real life? Or I know what God's Word says, and you can just go down the list about whatever God is working in your life. And it could seem that just like Moses had, or Joshua gave them, you just need to love God and you need to keep His commandments. We're stuck over here by ourselves. That just seems a little simplistic, Joshua. That just seems like, okay, that really isn't going to cut it when there's actually a physical barrier between us and them. We need something more. We need something greater than just the simplistic rules that God has given us. Uh, Yes, I know what God says, but how does that fix the problems in my life? And when we begin to think with that mentality... It is easy to make decisions based on fear instead of decisions based on faith. Fear directs you to make decisions to protect yourself instead of trusting God's Word. Isn't that what Israel was doing here? They built this altar because we want to protect our children from your children telling us that they can't serve God. Now, if you just heard what I said, that should just make your... Have you anywhere in the Bible found other people who were serving God stopping others from serving God? No. 
if those who are truly serving God want others to join them and want to share, okay? And so what they did was they, they had this fear. They, they stopped trusting and the simplistic truths that God had given them, and now they were making decisions based on fear, based on their own understanding of the situation. And they began to make decisions to protect themselves instead of trusting God's Word. You start adding to what God has commanded you to do. Or God's Word is just not enough for these perilous times. Or for a preacher, it could be, well, if I preach that, some people are going to leave the church and, you know, that's not going to be a good... What? Am I making decisions based on fear? Or make decisions... People who are making decisions based on fear try to protect themselves. And then once you do that, fear is going to lead you to blame others for the problems. As you, as you try to protect yourself and you say, what do they say? They say, your kids are going to stop our kids from serving the Lord. And the other people were saying, you're going to bring God's judgment on all of us. And the fear that was there was bringing, causing them to blame others and it brought unnecessary conflict. There didn't need to be an altar built. There didn't need to be a civil war. Why? They, they weren't committing idolatry so that there didn't have to be a civil war, but what, all of this was brought about because they were allowing their fear to drive them to make decisions to protect themselves instead of realizing their only true protection came as they followed God's clear word by faith. You see, what God has already said is the answers to our fears. If, if the two and a half tribes would have just been faithful to what God's word had already said and showed up three times a year at the tabernacle and taught their children the word of God and made it the central part of their life. God had already put Levites in the cities in their area. If they had just been faithful and said, you know what, we just need to be faithful to what God says and trust that God is going to take care of that, there would have been no need to build an altar. There would have been no need for the conflict to come. And there, they would have, their children would have continued serving the Lord side by side in unity with the rest of the nation of Israel. Because God's word, even though it seems simplistic, was what they needed for this new phase in their life. Are you worried about this life? Are you worried about how God, how God is going to meet the bills or how you're going to live for God in this crazy world? It's New York City. It's, it's, it's crazy on Long Island, but in the city it's crazier. It is. How are you going to live for God? By following God's word. And having the faith that it'll, that it'll be enough. By believing that it'll be enough. Whatever we're going through, as God brings us to new phases in our life and brings new struggles before us, the answer to the fear that is natural, there is going to be natural fears, but here's what we need to do, is we need to follow God's Word and have the faith that it'll be enough. Have the faith that it'll be enough. You're raising kids. Follow God's Word and have faith that it will be enough. We don't need all the philosophies of the world. We don't need to try to protect ourselves. What we need to do is follow God's word and have the faith that will be enough. How am I possibly going to retire in New York State? I have a lot of people out in uh, Riverhead that are retirement age or that area. How are, and they're leaving the island by droves or because of the high taxes and all of that. How am I possibly going to do that? Well, you're going to follow God's word 
and believe that will be enough. God may move you, God may not. But you're going to follow God's word and have the faith that will be enough. And that what God has said will meet the needs of whatever it happens to be. You can go through your life. How am I going to be a witness at work? You're going to follow God's word and have faith that will be enough. Because when we start making decisions based on fear, when we start making decisions to try to protect ourselves from all the things of real life that are around us, we are stepping off the foundation of God's word. We're going to blame others for the problems and we're going to bring unnecessary conflict into our lives and into the lives of others. When if Israel, the two and a half tribes, had just said, we have a mission from God, let's do that. There would not have been the unnecessary conflict. And God's word was already more than enough for the problems. The altar never solved the problem that they were trying to solve. It didn't. It didn't. They, they were able to not cause civil war, but it never solved the problem because that wasn't the real issue. The real issue was whether they were going to love God and keep his commandments. And when we follow God's word and believe that it will be enough, God will take care of everything else that falls in. It may sound simplistic. It may feel that isn't real for real life. But God has, knows what's coming. God knows the future. God knows what we need. And when we follow God's word and have the faith that it will be enough, instead of making decisions based on fear, we're going to see God work and God just and see God work just like he did in the last phase, in this new phase of our life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you this evening. Lord, I pray that you would challenge our hearts just to live for you.